1: Today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner.
0: It's not that he came simply to save your soul while your body rots in a grave and this whole universe just burns up in a fiery blaze and simply passes off into oblivion. The salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth to bring was a total salvation, beloved, of the total person in this total world. And that is the point that Luke is making to us when he uses the word saved for healing.
1: It was once asked of an evangelist on a street corner, "'Sir, are you saved?' To which the evangelist said, "'What do you mean? Am I saved? Will I be saved? Or am I being saved?' I would answer yes to all three. Our salvation is in total, saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day soon, the presence of sin. Welcome to Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We're continuing with our look at the authority of Christ's ministry, and we're in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. Join us as we seek to understand the totality of the salvation offered to us in Christ. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
0: Have you ever had a seriously high fever or known of someone to have it? I'm sure many of you mothers have gone through that. And I don't mean a little fever that might come and go. I mean one that is so serious that the person who has the fever is delirious and not able to comprehend what is going on around him. You're worried to death that something grave is going to happen to them. And even after this person comes out of this seriously high fever, he is still weak and as helpless as a newborn calf in a snowstorm for several days. Well, a somewhat similar situation took place in the life of Jesus. Jesus went to Simon Peter's home, whose mother-in-law was seriously ill with a high fever, They asked Jesus if he would go and pray for her, and Luke tells us Jesus goes into her room, he stands over her, he merely rebukes the fever, and immediately the fever leaves her. Now, the family was very concerned about this woman. They thought she was possibly going to die, and they were not ready for what happened next. Jesus heals her, which is surprising enough with just his word, but she immediately rises from her sickbed and she begins to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus so definitively heals her that she has no effects from her debilitating illness. She gets right up out of bed and she begins waiting on Jesus and the others Who had gathered. She had been saved from her illness. Now, that was a particular healing event in the life of Jesus. It was one of his healing miracles. And if you were here last Sunday, you remember I talked about the role and the purpose of miracles in the life of Jesus Christ and his apostles. And we saw that in the life of Jesus, these miracles, that is, God laying aside the laws of nature and exerting His omnipotence in such a way that everyone is awestruck by the event, and people believe as a result of it, was God's way of bearing witness to the fact that Jesus is everything He claims to be. The kingdom of God is being revealed through the ministry of Jesus. And the miracles he performed were divine proof that the kingdom has come with all of its saving power and that Jesus is indeed the king. Later on, we saw Jesus' apostles performing miracles And we saw that the New Testament says that the apostles' ability to perform miracles was actually a badge, or if you may, a sign, that they were the very mouthpieces of God. The miracles of the apostles were were signs, divine testimony, that these men represent Jesus and speak the infallible, inerrant word of God. That what comes out of their mouths... Every word, every thought in it originated in the mind of God and not man. And that, beloved, cannot be said of any preacher sense. And the proof that these apostles spoke for Christ was their ability to perform miracles which God himself had given them. You know... If you ask the average person on the street how frequent miracles were performed throughout the history of the Bible from Adam all the way to Jesus, they would most likely say all the time. The Bible is just full of miracles from one end of the history of God's covenant people to the other. Now, if they were to say that, it would actually be proof that they really hadn't read their Bible too carefully. Because do you realize that most of the people of Israel in the Old Testament probably never saw a miracle in their life? Do you realize that miracles in the Bible are rare, except for four particular eras in the history of God's people? You don't read about them in every chapter of the Bible, beloved. There were four particular eras when there were clusters of miracles performed around the lives of famous biblical characters. And in between those eras, miracles were very rarely, very rarely ever happened. The first time we see a lot of miracles performed was in the days of Moses and his leading of the people of God out of Egypt and through the Red Sea on dry land and during the conquest of Canaan by Joshua. Joshua. The second era of miracles was in connection with Elijah and Eliza and the beginning of the era of the great prophets. The third great era of miracles was in connection with Israel's Babylonian captivity, with Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And then, of course, the fourth great era of miracles was during the time of and ministry of Jesus and his excuse me, his apostles. But in between those times, miracles were very, very rare. And let me ask you this question. What was also taking place during those four eras of miracles? There was a lot of revelation from God to man being spoken. God was speaking to men in extraordinary ways. During the days of Moses, God gave us Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then we have the book of Joshua. In the days of Elijah and Eliza, you had these revelatory mouthpieces of God in the beginning of the prophets. And then with the Babylonian captivity, you had the end of the era of the prophets with God still speaking through His chosen receptacles. And then, of course, in the New Testament... You have the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit-inspired teachings of his apostles. So in the history of the people of God, wherever there was a lot of miracles, there was also a lot of revelation going on because the purpose of miracles is not just to make people feel better. The purpose of miracles is God bearing witness to the fact that divine revelation Is taking place. And as we saw last week, now that God's kingdom has come, and now that that long millennial old process of revelation has been completed with the 66 books of the Bible, there is no longer any need for God to bear witness by means of miracles. That revelation is going on. There is no more revelation coming from the mind of God because the Bible is so complete, beloved, as to make you thoroughly equipped unto every good work. Everything every Christian will ever need to live a life God-honoring between now and the second coming of Christ is wrapped between the covers of this book. God's completed revelation. Revelation. Therefore, we do not need miracles any longer. And that's how powerful God's Word is. The day of miracles has ceased because their function has come to an end. They were God's way of giving testimony. The kingdom of God has come. And these men, they speak the truth of God infallibly. When the Bible was completed, then the scaffolding, so to say, around the building was removed because the building could now stand on its own. And that is how powerful the Word of God is. It is so powerful that everything you need to live godly unto Jesus Christ in this life, you have in the knowledge of God found in Holy Scripture. So don't expect a miracle, beloved, to get you out of your problems. Don't even secretly wish for a miracle because the Bible is all you need with the Holy Spirit inside of you. It is powerful enough to satisfy every need of the Christian's life. Therefore, any professed miracle worker or healer today is a counterfeit Don't allow yourself to be swept off your feet by them. They are counterfeit because Satan is a counterfeiter. Satan enables his men to perform things that look a great deal like miracles. But they are merely magic tricks, demonically inspired. Remember when Moses stood before Pharaoh to speak God's word to him. The proof that Moses was the mouthpiece of God was his ability to perform miracles. And he threw down his staff in the court of Pharaoh and that wooden staff turned into a snake. Well, as you know, that didn't really impress the priests of Pharaoh because the priests of Pharaoh, inspired of Satan, were able to perform a kind of miracle. And they threw their staffs down, which also turned into snakes but then do you remember moses snake ate their snakes and that was the end of that matthew 7 says that when jesus comes back to earth there are going to be many people who will stand before jesus and say did we not cast out demons Did we not perform many miraculous works in your name? And Jesus will say to them, Depart from me. I never knew you because you did not do the will of my Father who was in heaven. Oh, you may have performed things that look like miracles, but you did not live your life for my glory. They lived them for themselves. So watch out for counterfeits. They're out to seduce and deceive you. Well, now we come to one particular miracle in the life of Jesus, and that is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Luke has an interesting word in our text for heal. Luke records many healing miracles, and whenever he records a healing miracle, whether it is a withered arm or someone's blindness or deafness, whatever it may be, The word that uh, Luke uses for heal is the exact same word that the New Testament uses for save. So that in Luke you have one word, sozo, S-O-Z-O, that can be translated delivered or saved from sin. Where on the other hand, it can simply mean to heal somebody's body. So when someone has his withered arm healed, it is to say his arm is saved. When someone's eyes are healed from blindness, his eyes are saved. It's the same word. Saved in the Greek is translated as heal. So spiritually, if you are forgiven of your sins, as far as Luke is concerned, that is a healing and an aspect of your salvation. Physically. If the Lord Jesus Christ heals you of some particular ailment, that also is an aspect of salvation. So he uses the exact same word in either case. And the point that Luke is making to us is extremely important. So listen carefully. And that is that Jesus Christ brings a complete salvation to the whole person in his whole world. It is not a partial thing. It is not just that the Lord Jesus Christ came to deal with your objectivity and help you have peace of mind in the midst of this tempestuous world while everything else just simply falls apart. It's not that He came simply to save your soul while your body rots in a grave. And this whole universe just burns up in a fiery blaze and simply passes off into oblivion. The salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth to bring was a total salvation, beloved, of the total person in this total world. And that is the point that Luke is making to us when he uses the word saved for healing. God saves you from your sins. He saves your body from illnesses. And it is the same word to impress us with the fact that salvation from Jesus Christ affects every, every aspect of life inside and out, individually and corporately. Everything on this entire globe is going to be affected by the salvation of Jesus. It is comprehensive, beloved. He came to bring complete salvation to the total person in His total world. Now, you have to admit, that's a powerful gospel. And that is far greater gospel than the old truncated gospel that simply says, Believe in Jesus and you won't go to hell when you die. And praise God, beloved, that when you believe in Jesus, you won't go to hell when you die. But that is only a small part of Christ's tremendous comprehensive salvation that Luke has been hammering on one way or another over and over to impress us with the fact that salvation is far bigger what a huge percentage of the church believes today you have to consider yourself to be fully blessed beloved because you understand the completeness of the salvation that Jesus Christ has given to us you're not better than other believers you're not smarter than other believers but God has greatly blessed you with this understanding Jesus didn't come just to save your soul Jesus didn't step into history simply to forgive you of your sin. Jesus came to save everything you are in the world in which you live so that nothing, nothing will be left unchanged. Now, the Bible has names for all aspects of this salvation. This isn't merely something that is vaguely presented in Scripture. The Bible goes into detail on how complete this salvation is and how it truly affects everything that comprises you and everything that comprises this world. What is the first thing the Lord Jesus Christ does when He brings salvation into your life? The Bible says He regenerates you. Regeneration is the beginning. When He comes down into your spiritually dead life, dead in your trespasses and sins, under the curse of God, running from God literally as fast as you can, the Lord Jesus Christ comes and raises you from the dead spiritually and causes you to be born again. He causes you to experience a whole inner transformation of your life that results in a new heart. The old heart that you had that was hard and resistant, that was unresponsive to the goodness of God, he has been, he has removed. And he replaced it with a heart that is soft and pliable and is responsive to the will of God. So the entire process of salvation, as it is applied to you, begins with when God captures your heart and he regenerates it and makes you a new person. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So the comprehensive salvation of everything that makes up the whole world in which you live starts with the regeneration of your heart when God captures the core of your being and he begins to change everything about you. From the inside out. Now when you first become a Christian. And you are given a new heart. You are still not perfect. You still sin. And you still have stains. And you still have old habits. Old ways still clinging to you. And that little embryonic seed of salvation. That has been planted in your heart. Has to grow. And it has to develop and mature in your life. And that is called Sanctification. Regeneration is when God brings you out of death into spiritual life and changes your heart. Sanctification is a work of God's Spirit within you, making you more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually, so that you can emulate Him in His character. You begin to like the things that Jesus likes, and you begin to hate the things that He hates. And the virtues that characterized his life begin to manifest in your life as the fruit of the Spirit. And it's this sanctification of the Spirit that causes the new life planted in your heart to begin to grow and mature throughout your entire life. And then comes glorification upon death. The moment you die, you are perfected. In holiness. The moment the doctor pronounces you dead. If you are a Christian. That moment. You not only enter. Into the very presence of God. But you undergo. The completion and perfection of sanctification in you. Spiritually. You are made sinless. You are perfected in holiness. Can you imagine. Upon death you will be. Morally perfect. There will not be left in you one single sinful impulse. One sinful desire. One sinful appetite. It will all be removed. Upon death, to use the words of our confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith, you will be perfected in holiness as you stand in the very presence of God. And upon death, you not only will be morally perfect, you will have mental and spiritual perception sharper than you have ever known in your life. Have you ever wanted to perceive and think and concentrate, but your mind is just a blur? Maybe you didn't get enough sleep the night before, or maybe, like in my case, you just ate too much that afternoon, or... Maybe you had a headache or a cold was coming on and kept you from thinking clearly, perceiving things sharply. Well, there's coming a day, beloved, upon your death where everything that has ever hindered your ability to perceive will be totally removed. And your perception will be sharper and more distinct and more sensitive and more awake than it has ever been in your life where you will be spiritually perfected upon death well you may think that's all but that ain't all beloved because the salvation because this salvation is a complete salvation of the total person in his total world
1: Eight six six five six oh seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB post mailbox four oh two, and the address is fourteen eighty four Pollard Road.